All right, we are going to be in the book of Jeremiah today. Jeremiah chapter 4. Pray for Pastor. He is traveling to, or has traveled. He's in California right now for a couple of days. Uh, he's there for interview days at West Coast Baptist College. And so, you know, he goes out there once a year to interviews for possible staff for the school and things like that. So pray for safety, and uh, he'll be back uh, this weekend. Jeremiah, chapter number 4. We're going to be looking in chapters 3 and 4, but I want to just read a few verses from chapter 4. Jeremiah, chapter 4, verse number 1. The Bible says, If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. And if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, thou shalt thou, sorry, then, then shalt thou not remove. And thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. And the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Well, that phrase, I want to talk tonight a little bit about that phrase, break up your fallow ground. Break up your fallow ground. Fallow ground practically speaking, is ground that has become hard. Not necessarily unusable, but it is ground that once produced fruit, however through disrepair and neglect, has become unfruitful. Um, I'm not much of a gardener. As a matter of fact, I'm not a gardener at all. <laughs> Leave that to my wife. Um, but I can, I can grow weeds if anybody's interested. I can help you out with that. I'm really good at that. Um, but seriously, it's ground that if you don't, listen, if you're a gardener, one of the things you, that you do pretty much every spring is you take care of the soil, okay? You break up the ground, you, you turn the soil over, you plant, you feed it, you weed it, you do all, uh, weed and feed, you do all that water, and that helps the ground each and every year to produce fruit or whatever it is you're trying to grow. Fallow ground is ground that has been allowed to basically fall into complete disrepair from basically not taking care of it. And here, Jeremiah is using that phrase to basically point out the hardness of the hearts of the people of Israel and of Judah. Now, we're going to look back in, um, in, in chapter number three in a second, just to give you a little bit of background. Uh, Jeremiah, um, you know, the prophet Jeremiah, if you, if you know the history of it was a, a prophet who, you know, when he was called by God in, cha in uh, chapter number one, really didn't want to be what God had called him to be. Uh, in verse number four, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. And, you know, just like with Moses, Jeremiah here was basically saying, Lord, I'm not a good speaker. You got the wrong person. I'm not the person who you want to communicate the message. But as, the, he, as God did with Moses, he basically told him, listen, I will put the words in you. It's not about who you are. It's about who I am and what I'm going to do. And then verse number seven, but the Lord said unto me, say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, Thou shalt speak, be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And so God here is assuring Jeremiah, listen, don't worry about what you think your limitations are or your shortcomings. I'm going to take care of it. 
I'm going to take care of it. And now Jeremiah here has, is the prophet, okay, who is delivering a message. And if you read through the book of Jeremiah, it, it, you know, it's not a message of joy. It's a message basically addressing the condition of the hearts of the people. Um, you know, the Israelites are not in a good place. They have turned from their God. Um, they have turned to idolatry. I mean, it's a mess right now. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel is in worse shape. The kingdom of Judah is in bad shape. And God is trying to get the people to see, hey, we need you to, I want you to turn back to me, to your true love, to the, to the God who saved you, the God who rescued you, the God who freed you out of the land of Egypt. But they've forgotten. And so we're in a time here where Jeremiah, listen, he didn't want to do this to begin with. But God said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And now he has to communicate a message to people who don't want to hear the message to begin with. But it's a message that needed to be heard. And, and as I was reading through this, I've been reading through the book of Jeremiah recently. And I thought to myself, man, you know, we as believers in the world that we live in today need to be very careful that we don't fall into the same trap. That we don't allow the cares of this world, the allure and the attraction of the things of this world to rob our hearts away from God. And listen, I'm telling you from experience, it's very easy to have that happen. If we're not careful and we're not guarding our hearts, that can happen sometimes without, we don't even realize it's happening. And so we need to guard our hearts. Why? Because our hearts can become fallow ground. And here Jeremiah is using that illustration. Listen, your hearts are hard. Your hearts once were producing fruit and now they are barren. And I want you to break up your fallow ground. If you've ever seen ground that is fallow, that's hard, it's, like, it's almost like cement. And it needs work. Now, listen, if that ground gets broken up, and if that ground is attended to, that ground can produce fruit again. And so God is not dismissing his people. What he's trying to get them to do is turn back to him. Listen, I want you to turn back to me so that you can produce the fruit that you did, so that you can live and worship me and bring glory to God the way you once did. But they've forgotten. So let's look at a few things here. Number one, what is the cause of fallow ground? And we're going to be in Jeremiah for a good part of this. But in Jeremiah, if we turn back to Jeremiah chapter number 3, what is the cause of fallow ground? Why would Jeremiah say, hey, break up your fallow ground? Well, the first thing is because there was a turning away from God. They had turned away from their God. If you look in Jeremiah, we're going to look at a few verses here. And there's a word that comes that should, that, uh, that we see coming up over and over and over again. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse number 6. The Bible says, The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tee, and there hath played the harlot. In verse number 8, And I saw when all, for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorcement, a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Verse 11, verse 12, And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more, more than treacherous Judah. 
Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel. Over and over again, verse 14, verse 22, the word that you keep seeing coming up, backsliding. That word backsliding basically means to turn away from God, to turn away from God. Okay? We need to be very careful that we, as believers, don't turn away from God. Because turning away from God, you see, that word backsliding has the connotation that we've kind of, you know, fallen from where we first were. We've kind of stumbled. That word backsliding literally means to turn away from. In other words, hey, you know, we're, our eyes are on Jesus. Our eyes are on Christ. We're, our, we live our lives in such a way that we're focused on Christ all the time. What we've done is, here is Christ, and what we've done is we've turned our back and we've walked away. That's what the idea of backsliding is. And that's where the people of, of Israel and the people of Judah are right now. They have turned their back on their God, the God who freed them from the bondage in Egypt, the God who had performed miracle after miracle after miracle for them. You know, when they got to the Red Sea, they started murmuring and complaining. But what happened? God did a great work. And God showed them that miracle. He parted the Red Sea. And every one of the children of Israel walked across on dry land. And as soon as the last one stepped off, the waters closed and all the Egyptians perished. God did a great miracle. God did a great miracle. God is the one who brought the walls of Jericho down. Listen, marching around a wall is not going to bring that wall down. Amen. Obeying God will bring that wall down. And that's what they did. It wasn't about marching around the wall. It was simply about their obedience to God that brought that wall down. And these are the same people who experienced that. Their families, they had heard about it generation after generation, and now they have completely turned their back on God. When we turn our back on God, it ultimately will lead to self-reliance. It leads to self-reliance. What do I mean by that? Instead of trusting in God's will, we trust in our will. Instead of trusting in God's strength, we rely and depend upon our strength. Instead of asking God for his wisdom, we depend upon our own wisdom. Instead of reaching and crying out to God for provisions, we try and make the best of what we have ourselves. And when... We start to rely upon ourselves instead of upon God. We've turned our back on God. Now listen. As the days move forward, day after day, you see more and more and more of this happening where you know, people don't even really want you to mention the name of God. I mean, that's the reality of it. Um, you know, I was, I was in my Bible class um, yesterday or the day before. It was either Monday or Tuesday. I think it was Monday. And one of the topics that came up, and, and this, is a, this is a huge problem in today, and this is in Christianity. We have a mindset that there is the, I'll say quote unquote, the religious here, the sacred, if you will, and then there's the worldliness or the secular. So you, on the one hand, you have the sacred, and on the other hand, you have the secular. And the two can never mix. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, obviously, we don't want the world mixed in with God. That's not what I'm talking about. But what we've done is, when we're in church and when we're in Sunday school, that's the sacred. Oh, then we need to be focused on God. But when we're not in church, 
when we're out there doing our jobs and when we're just maybe mowing the lawn or, you know, exercising, well, God, God can't be a part of that. That's the secular. And the two are separate. Listen, God never intended for that to be the case. But when we turn our back on God, what we start to do is we separate the two. And that's the world we live in today. That's why people don't want God anywhere outside of church. Listen, people, I've heard people tell that to me. Listen, if I wanted God, I'd go to church. But can I tell you, God is the one who created all things. God created all things. Therefore, God needs to be a part of everything. So you say, well, what does that mean? And, and a couple of the kids in class asked the question, well, I don't understand what that means. What do you mean that, you know, the sacred and the secular, they need to be intertwined, that God needs to be at the forefront of our thought in everything we do? Listen, our, our desire needs to be to worship God in everything that we do. If we're mowing the lawn, worship God. You say, well, that's ridiculous. Um, I don't like mowing the lawn. As a matter of fact, I hate mowing the lawn. <laughs> um, what do you mean by worshiping the Lord in everything we do? Listen, there is a way that we can worship God in everything we do. How do we do that? By having a joyful countenance. Okay, I can sit there and grumble and murmur and complain and do things with a bad attitude, or I can do everything I can to honor and glorify God because God's given me that house that gives me the, the privilege of mowing that lawn that God gave me, and I could do it with a good spirit, with a good attitude, and to the best of my ability. You say, well, that's worshiping God? Yeah, it is. Amen. You say, well, wait a minute. Hold on a second. That doesn't make any sense. Listen, we can worship God in every aspect of our life. As a matter of fact, we should. But when we've turned our back on God and we started to rely on self, God is no longer part of our life because we've turned our back on him. And now we're relying upon our intelligence, which God gave us. Our strength, which God gave us. Our will, which goes against everything that God desires for us to do. And so, the people of Israel, over and over you see that word come up, backsliding, 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 backsliding. Instead of turning towards their God, they've turned away from their God. A.W. Pink said this, The great mistake made by most of the Lord's people is in hoping to discover in themselves that which is to be found in Christ alone. People keep searching. I gotta, I gotta find myself. I gotta look within me. I gotta find that strength. I gotta dig deep. Listen, what we need is found only in Jesus Christ. But when we start to rely on self and turn our back on God, that's the mindset that we develop. If we can't do it, it can't be done. Good, good meaning people have said, well, Listen, God's not going to come down here and do this for me. If God wanted to, he could. I believe that God desires for us to follow him and do the things that he's called us to do. Listen, God has answered prayers of everyone in this, in this room in ways that we never could have seen. God uses people to answer prayers in our life. Okay? Um, you know, listen, we have... We could testify of the things that God has miraculously done in our lives. Answers to prayers. Um, God has used each and every one of us in here, I'm sure, to answer prayers in other people's lives. Things we didn't even know about. So God can accomplish and do whatever he chooses to do. When we turn our back on God, we say, i got to figure out what I'm going to do. i got to figure out what I'm going to do. And what we really need to do is drop to our knees and cry out to God. 
And that's what God is saying to the people here. You need to, you need to turn back to me. You need to leave all this stuff, but they don't want to do that. John 15, 5 tells us, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. That's good soil. You can bring good fruit if you have good soil. But when you have fallow ground, there is no fruit. Christ goes on to say, for without me, ye can do nothing. That is a very direct very clear statement. Without Christ, we can do nothing. The people, the children of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, they had decided, we don't need God anymore. We got this. They had backslidden. They had turned their back on God and they had started to rely on themselves. And Christ is saying, hey, listen, you can't do anything apart from me. Oh, we could try. But how far will we get? Listen, are we going, listen, the things that we do in our own strength that we feel are accomplishments, I don't want to say accomplishments isn't the right word, the things that we, successes, oh man, we did this for the Lord, we did this for the Lord, but listen, there's going to be a lot of things that we did in our own power and in our own strength that when we, when we get to heaven, are, those things are going to burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. That's what the Bible says. You know what? Because we did it, and we did it for the Lord, but we did it with the wrong spirit or the wrong attitude. You know what? We did it with selfish motivation. And we left God out of it. And God is saying, listen, you need to turn back to me. You're backslidden. Israel is backslidden. Judah, you see that what's happened to them, and now you're backslidden. Because they have relied upon themselves. They're no longer seeking God. Charles Spurgeon said this. What a great quote. Self-sufficiency is Satan's net. Think about that. Self-sufficiency is Satan's net, wherein he catches men like poor silly fish and does destroy them. Be not self-sufficient. Think yourselves nothing, for you are nothing. And live by God's help. The way to grow strong in Christ is to become weak in yourself. God pours no power into man's heart till man's power is all poured out. What did Apostle Paul say? For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know what he realized? That when he became weak, Christ could take over and the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God could work through him. Because listen, when it's about our strength and our power and we're doing it in our own strength, God's not there. But when we humble ourselves and we say, Lord, I can't, listen, this is all about you, Lord, I can't do any of this apart from you, then God can take over. Then God can take over and God can do amazing things. I always tell the kids, you know, I try and encourage the kids in, 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 in my Bible class to just give God a chance and to serve him, or think about serving him in some capacity. It doesn't have to be full-time ministry. Just do something for the Lord. And I try and encourage them to do that because, you know, a lot of the times what they feel is, and, I, and they'll, they'll tell me this, yeah, but I'm not like those people in the Bible. I can't do those great things. Do you know that those people in the Bible, those preachers that we hear about, the, the Spurgeons and the Moody's and the, and the Billy Sundays, you know they're just regular, they were regular people like us who were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And did amazing things because they surrendered and basically they humbled themselves. They became weak so that he, so that he could be strong in them. And that's, that's, what, that's what it's all about. When we turn our back on God, we stop seeking God and then it becomes about us. And God is saying, listen, break up your fallow ground. Turn back to me. So turning away from God is the cause of fallow ground. Also is idolatry. 
Um, you know, in, in Jeremiah chapter 3, we're going to read a couple of these verses real quick, but in Jeremiah chapter 3, we read a few of them already. The Lord said also unto me, verse 6, in the days of Josiah the king. Now let me throw this in here, by the way. Jeremiah, at this point in the book, is prophesying during the time of King Josiah. Now, if you do a little bit of study, if you know King Josiah, King Josiah was a good king. King Josiah, when he took over, restored the temple. Basically, to put it in a practical term, he cleaned house. He got rid of all the idolatry, all the wickedness that was there. He restored the temple worship. He put the priests in charge like they should have been in charge. He restored the worship of God the right way, and he cleaned house. All the idolatry, he got rid of it. That, that's what, now, now think about this. This is what Josiah the king decided to do. And this is the time where Jeremiah is prophesying. So you say to yourself, well, wait a minute. If, if the king is cleaning house and the prophet is preaching against it and speaking against it, why would there be a problem? Listen, don't for one minute think and get comfortable thinking that, listen, I go to church every Sunday. I'm there every Wednesday. Listen, the devil is waiting for you to sit there and say, I'm good. Because the minute we say we're good, he steps in. Every day, every day, we need to start with prayer and with God's strength. We talked about that in Sunday school. You know, when's a good time? When's a good time to pray? Early in the morning is a good time to pray. Because you want to start your day preparing yourself, arming yourself because of the spiritual battle that you face ahead. And so listen, the devil's just waiting for us to get comfortable and say, ah, I'm good. I'm good, Lord. And then he steps in. So verse 6, the Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Has thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? And here it is. She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. Verse 8, And I saw when, when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not. Over and over again in verse number 9, it says, and it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. And what is it saying? Listen, they would take anything, a rock, a piece of wood. They would make statues out of anything and they would worship them. Now listen, I know that it sounds foolish to say those things and to think, man, these are the same people that had heard of the stories of what God had done in the wilderness. He fed them with manna. At the Red Sea, he parted it over and over again. Miracle after miracle, provision after provision. But let's not forget, think back to the time of Joseph. You know, Joseph had done a great work. God had done a great work through Joseph. Saved the people from starvation. Joseph was highly highly exalted because of his God. And he was given a position of prominence. Then you fast forward to the first chapter of the book of Exodus. 400 years has passed. Not a lot of time when you really think about it. And the children of Israel are in bondage. Why? Because people had forgotten everything that Joseph had done. That was a long time ago. Listen, the king at that time took care of Joseph because Joseph had done the right thing and taken care of them. But 400 years later, the king at that, at 400 years later could care less. The Pharaoh could care less. He's like, Joseph, Joseph who? Put him in slavery. 
we would do well not to forget so easily the things that God has done in our life. Whether it's in the Bible or whether it's in our own life. I think it's very, very easy. I'll give you an example. How long ago was 9-11? And how quickly we've forgotten. When that happened, the churches were packed. Packed. People were rushing to the churches to pray and to look for God. And how many, we're not even 20 years later. And those same people don't even want to discuss God. So we need to make sure that we don't forget and turn to the idolatry of the world. And listen, idolatry, anything we put before the Lord. Very simple definition. What's idolatry? Anything we put before the Lord. What do you mean? Listen, if we give more time to fill in the blank than we do to God, guess what? That's taking prominence over the Lord. Well, now you're being radical. No. Anything we put before the... Listen, how do you know that something's an idol? What, do, what has our heart? What has our heart? What would we spend hours doing? It could be anything. It could be anything. But if it's not the Lord, it's an idol. And listen, I've been there. Okay? I've been there. I love sports. But there came a point in my life where I had to say, you know what? This is taking endless amount of times. I mean, I'm reading sports articles, I'm watching highlights, I'm watching games, I'm looking up statistics over and over and over and over again. And I got to the place where I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm spending endless hours. And do I enjoyed it. I really did. But to what end? You know what? It was an idol. Now, I still watch sports, but not to the place where it now has my heart. I enjoy it as a form of entertainment, but that's it. It might be something else. One of the other things I loved, used to love to do is read. I love reading. Love, we used to read books all the time. My wife and I used to do it all the time. But I, I was convicted because I was like, listen, I am not going to read, you know, 14 different, you know, spy novels or whatever and then spend five minutes reading my Bible. Why? It's an idol. And so we need to be careful. We can condemn, we can condemn the children of Israel for their idolatry, but we got to be careful that we don't have idols in our life as well. So the cause of fallow ground in their case was turning away from God and it was idolatry. Now what is the effect of fallow ground? Listen, when you have hard ground, there is, there is, there is an effect. That has an effect on it. Number one are hardened hearts. Hardened hearts. Um, he says back in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter number four, In verse 3, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground. Then he says, And sow not among thorns. Listen, the only thing that will grow on fallow ground are weeds and thorns. <laughs> are weeds and thorns. That's pretty much it. Okay? What is he saying? He's saying, Don't sow on fallow ground. In other words, listen, don't pretend, don't try and live a life where you're trying to you know, when, when the Bible talks about sowing, oftentimes, what is it referring to? It's referring to the Word of God. If you look in Matthew chapter number 13, it talks about the four types of seeds that are sown. I'm sorry, the four types of ground where seeds are sown. Some seed goes by the wayside. Some falls on stony ground. Some falls on thorny ground. And other falls on good soil. Well, 
if your heart is hard and then you're saying, well, you know what, let me, uh, yeah, I, 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 maybe I've turned from God a little bit. I have some idols in my life, but you know what, I'll, I'll fix it. God will be happy. I'll read my Bible today. But you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to sow seeds on hard ground. That's what we're trying to do. How's that going to work? I, I told you before, I'm not much of a gardener. And I've tried many times over the years. My wife will laugh because she knows. I've spent endless amounts of hours and, um, and, and money, unfortunately, trying to get grass in my backyard. When we first bought the house, it was like a sandlot. That was it. Okay? It was like kids could play stickball back there. That's what the, it was just a hard ground. And so for like, the, what, first 10 years we lived there, I kept telling her every, every spring, we're going to get grass this year. We're going to get grass. And I would go out there, and I would try everything. One year, I rented one of those, the Bobcat machine. You remember that thing? I rented. It was kind of cool, actually. And I got, like, I think, I, well, we did definitely got way too much soil. I, I didn't know how much. I don't know anything about this. So I was like, yeah, get two truckloads. The guy's like, that's a lot of dirt. Ah, don't worry about it. Just put it in the driveway. When they showed up, I was like, whoa. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the neighbors must have been like, what, is, what are they doing? So we had, we put it all out there. And then I had the brilliant idea, after years of throwing seed and not getting anything, because who would have known? You have to till the ground to throw the seed. <laughs> what did I know? It was like cement, so we'll just throw it down there. That didn't work. So I said, I'm going to do the right thing this year. And we invested in this, like, tons of dirt, the machine, the little bobcat machine. And then I had the brilliant idea to get sod. Well, I figured the grass is already there. All I have to do is throw it on the ground, and it'll work. Well, I didn't realize two things. First of all, that sod weighs a ton, okay? Um, it took us two days to put it down, and I, I couldn't walk for a week, and that's not an exaggeration. I, my back was so wrenched, I had to take three days off from work, and that's the truth. And it looked great for about a month. That was about, like, what, like $2,000 worth of soil and seed and grass and everything else, and by next year, it was dead. I was so frustrated. Every year, I kept going out there. Well, you know what I didn't realize? I, somebody finally told me. They said, listen, it's not that hard. Till the ground and just throw seed out there. The tilling of the ground was the important part. And if we don't break up the fallow ground of our heart, we can read our Bible all we want. But if we're still living in wickedness and idolatry and we've turned our back on God, what's, what seed is going to stay? It's like that seed that grows into thorny ground and it's choked up by the weeds. Listen, we can't, we can't have it both ways with God. We, wa we want to live in the world and we want to live, we want to, we want to serve God. Here's the sacred, here's the secular. Oh man, we got to keep those two separate. Listen, I love God, I love God on Sundays and Wednesdays. We can't live like that because that seed just gets choked out. And then we wonder, man, I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I really sense the presence of God in my life because the seed is getting choked by the weeds in our heart and the thorns. And he's saying, don't sow with the thorns. Hardened hearts. Weeds and thorns choke the seed. It won't grow. What's the first thing you do in the spring? You weed and feed. Because you want to kill the weeds, because otherwise the grass will never grow. The other thing is, when you throw that, on, you throw that seed down on, on that hardened ground and that hard heart, you, no fruit is produced. You're not getting anything. And I'm not a gardener, and I know that. I figured that out real quick. The only thing that's ever grown in our yard, they must have planted vines long ago. I can't kill these vines no matter what I do. 
One year I got so aggravated. This has nothing to do with the message. One year I got so aggravated I was grabbing the vines. I said, I'm going to get to the root. Do you realize those things can go all over your yard? I spent all afternoon, and when I was done, the only thing, it, it looked like a gopher or something had run all over the yard because there were these ditches all over the backyard. So I stopped doing that. That's my gardening experience. That's what happens when you grow up in New York. All right. Hardened hearts. The effect of fallow ground. Also, you know what? When your, heart, when your heart is hardened, you also don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. Oftentimes, you know, God, God is talking to them. He's saying, turn back to me. We're going to look at it in a minute, but what's his cry to them? Repent. And it's like it's going in one ear and not the other. We need to break that fallow ground so we can hear from God. Do you know when we don't sense the presence of God and we feel like God's not speaking to us, it's not because God isn't speaking to us, it's because we're not listening. God desires to speak to us. He wants to speak to us. He wants us to turn back to him. And I'm afraid in the days we're living, and people don't even want to talk about the name of God. As soon as you say God, people are like, yeah, whatever. And, and it's more and more, and it's more, as we go forward more and more, it's getting worse and worse. That shouldn't be the case for us. We're Christians. We're supposed to love the Lord our God in everything we do, not just with voice, but here, where it matters. God knows our hearts. The effect of fallow ground is hardened hearts. No eyes to see and ears to hear. Hypocrisy. That's a word nobody likes. The Pharisees were hypocrites. Interesting verse. Look at chapter 3. When I read this, I had to go back and read this a few times. Look at verse 10. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly saith the Lord. Let me just back step, take a step back. God has gone through a litany of things, or Jeremiah has gone through a litany of things, and he's told the people, look at all the things that Israel has done. Now, Israel was the northern kingdom. Look at all the things that they've done. If you know anything about the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, the kings of Israel, all of them, not one of them was good. Not one of them was good. Over and over again, you, Ahab, all of them, wicked, wicked, wicked. And God is saying to, to, Jeremiah is saying to them, listen, look what's happened to the northern kingdom. Look what's happened to Israel. Look at them. And then he says to them, to Judah now, and yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me. I've told you all these things. And yet, you're still not listening to me. I'm showing you what's going on and you still don't see it. Hath not turned unto me with heart, and listen, but feignedly. In other words, with lip service. In other words, they say, oh, yeah, we're not going to be like them. Whew, boy, I'm glad I'm not like, like old Israel up there. Whew. Yeah, God, we love you. We would never do anything like Israel does. And you know what, you know what Jeremiah is saying? That's all fake. You're seeing what they're doing, but you haven't turned to me with your whole heart. As a matter of fact, it's all fake. That's what that word feigned means. It's fake. It's false. Now look what he says in verse 11. And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. And thought about this. So he's saying, okay, so there's no kings in Israel that we would consider good kings. And he's saying, Judah, you are worse than them. 
I'm thinking, wow. And I thought to myself, why would that be the case? Why would that be the case? I think there's a few reasons for First, they saw what happened to Israel, and they didn't learn from it. They had the example of what happened in Israel, and they said, yeah, whatever. It won't happen to us. They had an example to learn from, and they chose to ignore it. Now listen, we can condemn, we can condemn the lost and the heathen and this wicked world. And there is wickedness abounding everywhere. And it's easy to condemn them. But can I tell you, they're only doing what they know. We as Christians know better. You know what's worse? When Christians who know better are doing the same things that the world does. That's a dangerous thing. And listen, there's a lot of that going on today in the name of Christ. Oh, we're, we're doing this for the, uh, for the good. You know, uh, yeah, I know we shouldn't be in a bar drinking, but you know, there's people in there that need to hear the gospel. Really? Come on now. You can continue to convince yourself all you want, but that's not God's intention. God never intended for us to sin in order to bring people to Christ. We should know better. It's easy to condemn people, but guess what? We were there. We didn't know any better. I can tell you, listen, I'm not proud of the things I did before I was saved, but I didn't know any better. Nobody told me, hey, listen, God has a better way. God has a better plan. They were closer. Judah was closer to the center of their worship. The center of worship was Jerusalem. They were closer to the center of worship than than Israel was, and yet as far away from God as Israel Think about this. You know how much freedom we have in this country to worship our God? And yet we neglect it so much. There are countries where if you're caught with a Bible, you're killed. Or incarcerated if you're lucky. And those people would tell you, I don't care. I would do it again. Why? because it's so important for them to worship their God. And yet we have all the freedoms in the world and we take it for granted. Judah had the same, 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 same idea. They had spiritual kings in Judah. Listen, this is in the time of Josiah. I want you to think about this. Josiah was born in 648. This takes around, place around 630, 620 B.C. He was born in 648. He was king from 640 to 609. So he was king for 31 years. So during the time of Josiah, there was revivals going on because he was cleaning out the temple, restoring temple worship. All this was going on. Listen, they had a spiritual leader. They had a prophet warning them, and yet they were like, yeah, whatever. Israel didn't have that. Judah did. They had Josiah. They had Hezekiah. And there were many others that were good kings. Asa. They were good kings, and yet they were like, yeah, you know what, no. And then I think the worst of it all is what it says in that previous verse, that their repentance was a pretense. Oh, we're sorry, God. And the Lord says, it's fame. It's fake. Hypocrisy. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. So what's the solution for fallow ground? What is the solution? Real quick. First, the ground needs to be broken up. The ground needs to be broken up. Well, what does that mean as far as our heart is concerned? Repentance. We need to have some hard heart softening. Over and over again, look what God says in Jeremiah chapter 3. Verse 12, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel. Verse 13, here it is. 
only acknowledge thine iniquity. You know what he's saying? Confess your sins. Okay, you were wrong. Confess your sins. Confess your sins. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Aren't you thankful we have a merciful God? That we can go to him. Even, even when we've done the worst possible thing we can think of, when we go to God with sincere hearts and repent, you know what? God is merciful and he forgives. The Bible says in 1 John, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Also, that's, that's some strong stuff. Think about this. If we confess our sins, God forgives us. But if we say, hey, I got no sin in my life, you know what we're saying? We're saying God's a liar. Whoa. Now, we would never utter those words, God, you're a liar. Because we would be like, whoa, that sounds terrible. But in essence, if we're not willing to confess our sins... And we're saying, oh, there's no sin in my life. Isn't that what we're doing? That's what the Bible says. So the ground needs to be broken up. It needs to be tilled, so to speak. That's repentance. Hard, listen, and, and here's the thing. Hard ground requires hard work to get it back to the place where it's once again fruitful. You know, it's not going to be a five-minute thing. Hard ground is requiring a lot of hard work. Let me go back to my gardening story real quick. I uh, decided one year to rent a tiller, rototiller. Yes, thank you. My wife knows. See, rototiller. And I thought, cool, I'm a guy. I like tools, power tools, big things that rip things up. I'm good with that. Don't know what I'm doing, but I'll go out there. So I went to the rental place, and the guy said, oh, this is what you got to do. I think he was a little worried because I, I must have had a look like a clueless look on my face, but I, I think I played it off. So he's like, okay. So I put it in the car, brought it home. That thing's a lot harder to use than, than it seems. I figured I'm just going to cruise through the backyard with this little thing. No, you got to put some work into that thing. That machine, that thing will just dig straight to the center of the earth if you don't stop it. <laughs> I don't have a big yard. I got, you know. And so here I go. I'm going, and this thing, and I had blisters on my hand from this thing. I, maybe I wasn't using it right, and that's entirely possible. What's the point? When I was done, the ground was ready to be seeded, but it took a lot of work. It took a lot of work. And listen, sometimes to get through, have you ever met someone that you pray for and you know they're cold to the Lord right now and you know they used to love God, but man, things have happened in their life and they're just really hard towards the things of God. And you pray and you pray and you know, man, it's going to take a miracle of God to break through that hardness in their heart. God can do it. Well, that's the idea. Listen, hard hearts, that fallow ground, that takes a lot of work to break that up. But if you want to be fruitful again, it needs to be done. The ground needs to be broken up. B, the ground needs to be cultivated. You know what that means? Feeding, seeding, watering. What does that mean? We need to get in the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, put off the evil things from our life. I don't have time to read through it. But if you read Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 22 all the way down to verse 30, it talks about putting off the things that are evil in our life. Get rid of those things. Put them off. And then get grounded in the Word of God. Get grounded in the Word of God. What are we supposed to feed on the Word of God? And little by little, little by little, you start to see the change. And then finally, the ground needs, the ground needs to be maintained. Maintaining good, uh, you know, a place where you're going to grow fruit or you're going to grow, um, you know, 
a lawn or flowers or whatever. It's a lot of work. I don't like it. My wife wanted to plant some vegetables and herbs this year, so I built her a planter box. Shockingly, it actually is still standing, and it actually looks like a planter box. It, it was a miracle of God, that's all I can tell you. But she planted a whole bunch of things out there, and she was out there almost every day, making sure there was no weeds, taking the vegetables off as they came up. That's a lot of work. Every day you have to be out there taking care of this thing. Okay, Listen, we need to guard our hearts. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Listen, we need to guard our hearts, because the things that we see, the things that we listen to, affect our heart, affect our choices. And so we need to guard our heart. We, how do we do that? We need to cons- develop good, consistent habits in our Christian life. We need to allow, as 2 Peter 3.18 says, we need to allow the grace of God to grow us. The Bible says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, be glory both now and forever. Amen. We need to grow in God's grace. It's not about how much knowledge we can take in, but how much the grace of God and the word of God is going to change us. So the ground needs to be broken up cultivated, that's the feeding, the seeding, the watering, and then finally it needs to be maintained, and that's the growing. I like the growing part of it. I don't like the other part of it. It's nice when you go out there and everything is green. I could tell you more gardening stories, but I'm out of time. All right, one more. So we planted these vegetables this year, and there is this chipmunk. This little... He does two things. He eats the vegetables. He's this big. How much can he eat? He's this big. He eats the vegetables, and he digs holes all over my yard. I keep filling them in, and he digs another hole. That doesn't work, by the way. Don't, don't cover him up, because he'll just dig another hole. Now you have two holes. Anyway, that's it. I'm done with that. Listen, when God says, when Jeremiah says to them, break up your fallow ground, they had... They had turned to the world. They had turned away from God. They had turned to idolatry. It was a mess what was going on. Listen, if you read through the rest of the book of Jeremiah, it, it gets even worse. But can I, tell, can I share this with you? There is a solution. It's repentance. It's staying in the word of God. It's getting grounded in the word of God. And the reason I, you know, God put this on my heart. And the reason is because, you know what? It's so easy to fall into that trap. Satan would love nothing more than to lull us and have us kind of half asleep in our spiritual walk. Why? So that we can become like that. It's easy to judge the, 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 the kingdoms of Israel and Judah and say, man, how could they do that to their God? But be careful because it's very easy for us to fall into that trap. And I believe today more than ever with the things that are going on, we need to be alert. We need to be awake because guess what? We have a powerful enemy that's seeking to devour us. And we need to, we need to be focused and walking towards our God, not turning our back on him. And how do we do that? We need to stay in his word. Man, it's great when you read the Bible every day and God gives you something new every day. Or maybe you're studying or preparing a Sunday school lesson and God gives you something new every day. Maybe you're reading your devotion, a little devotion, a five-minute devotion, and God gives you something new every day. It's awesome. That's exciting. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be. That's how we continue to grow. That's how we get grounded, and that's how we keep the good soil of our heart so that we can produce fruit for the glory of God. Amen? All right. Uh, 